kindness changes the brain by the experience of kindness. It's one of those unique things that it has to be experienced. It just has to be. And it's a way of showing up daily. It starts within you. When you hold yourself to the kindness standard, if you're kind to your students, even if you never speak of kindness or have a lesson in it, they will learn some of what they know about kindness from you. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Elizabeth Tingle, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their fields about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. Today, we're joined by Krista Demba, who has worked both as a teacher and nurse and currently works with Alberta Health Services with the Mental Health Promotion and Illness Prevention Team to talk about the importance of cultivating kindness in school settings. Hopefully, this podcast format will allow you to simultaneously do something that would help you either exercise or relax or whatever it is that you feel that you need today. Welcome, Krista. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Elizabeth. (laughs) Before we get into your experience and wisdom on the topic of kindness, I really enjoy asking guests what they have found to be useful habits to protect their well-being, just to give listeners ideas as they're listening to the podcast of the different ways that wellness can look in our lives. So what are the strategies that work for you, which you may or may not do while you're listening to a podcast? Well, I think it's always a reminder for myself to do what's best for my learning. Sometimes I just really need to sit and write what's going on. So I remember, but other times I can find I might be able to walk while I'm listening, ride my cycle trainer, stretch, or even practice some even pace breathing. I just think uh, for me, I try to do what's best for me, and I'm hopeful that you will do what's best for you today. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how it is that you've come to be passionate about school health promotion? Sure. I've always been interested in what keeps us healthy. So things like education, physical health, nutrition, positive mental health, and social connection have always been what gets my attention. My background is varied. As you mentioned, I was a teacher, I am a nurse, and I did a master's in public health promotion. But as a teacher, I remember working late at night and coming in early to get my lessons plans perfect, only to be kind of stymied by figuring out ways to get two grade eight boys to stop fighting in my class. Dennis was short and small and pretty smart alecky, and Brad was tall and big and really easy to ruffle. And I was feeling frustrated, so I was always breaking up fights. And then a kind mentor said to me, you know, Krista, if you can get the kids to be kind to each other, you've done your job. So I got to work on that. I used Hellison's model of teaching personal responsibility, because I'm a Fazetti and English major for high school. And we held a class discussion about respect for self and others. And the class co-created an adapted model for themselves that they agreed to. They graded it daily, personally, and they graded me daily on the model personally. And I did the same for them. So it was fun. I met with each one of them once a month to 
discuss their own grading and my grading. And then I'd highlight specific examples of what I saw. Is at the highest level, you know, they were helping others too. And we tried to stick to the positives and, and they did too. We also got physically active every day. We got out in the morning and went around the school block at least three times. We had water and healthy snacks and everybody was responsible for cleaning up their own mess. And if I caught them being kind, I would tell them what I saw and how it was kind. And I would even call and report it to their parents. I also shared kind stories I found in the news and would point out any literature we read that contained things like gratitude, kindness, appreciation, and empathy. And over the year, both the students and I changed. My vision of them changed, and I think they got closer to. I became much less stressed. <laughs> Dennis and Brad um, were actually responsible for putting together a goodbye party for me at the end of the year. We're, we're just skating in the Mushja ice rink. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> the human connection um, was the really interesting part for me. It got me thinking that maybe I could make a bit of a difference more in health, doing things that a school nurse would do, like maybe teaching self-esteem and understanding emotional regulation and doing workshops like that. I was really hopeful to work in school health promotion, but that wasn't meant to be because when I graduated, most of the school nursing programs in Alberta were cut. And instead, I ended up working in a lot of palliative care, so the end of life and clinical trial work for multiple sclerosis and prostate cancer, and I did geriatric mental health. And then just seeing so much illness and suffering and mental health really solidified and feel my passion to understand more about what keeps us healthy. So I went back to do my master's in public health promotion. Now I get to use skills from all my areas and I'm still very passionate and learning every day more and more and understanding about what we can do to keep people and communities healthy in their environments. And schools are just, you know, very near and dear to my heart. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's a great beginning to your career of recognizing that focusing on kindness made such a difference in your classroom, both for the students and for yourself. Firstly, can you clarify what kindness means? Is it the same as being nice or polite? What counts as kindness? Kindness, in most researchers' view, means being friendly, generous, or considerate to ourselves and others through our thoughts, words, and actions. So there's no hidden agenda there. It's being kind to be kind. Yeah, about being nice or polite, definitely they are ways to express kindness. And so, you know, if you're being friendly or you're being polite, that's absolutely a kindness. And for what counts as kindness? Researchers have found that it doesn't seem to matter if you do kind things for people you're close to, for people that you don't know very well, for yourself by practicing self-kindness, or if you're just noticing and watching other people doing kind things like volunteering or holding a door, it all counts as kindness. And in our bodies and how that interacts in our bodies, it has benefits for you. So what are those benefits? What does the research say about kindness's impact on ourselves, even when we, like you said, witness others being kind. So research shows that kindness is good for both learning and health. And no matter how we experience kindness and the ways that we've talked about, the oxytocin produced influences your pro-social behavior in your decision making. So what happens is you start to think of the benefit of how you can benefit and help others. 
This also impacts your body in other ways. Kindness increases your energy, so you, you feel a little bit more peppy. <laughs> your self-esteem is boosted. Your confidence and optimism is boosted. It can help heal wounds, which is amazing, you, and calm you down when you are stressed. It can also decrease pain and cortisol production, which happens when we have a stress response, and anxiety and depression are decreased, and so is blood pressure. So a lot of great health benefits there. The kindness also changes our relationships. So when we think about how kindness impacts that oxytocin feeling, it deepens the quality of trust in our relationships so we feel more connected and bonded to others. And if we are learning in environments in which we feel safe and encouraged to try to do our best or that those environments are kind, if we make mistakes or even fail, we're more able to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off again. There's a lot of good stuff about kindness. Yeah, that's amazing. And it reminds me in the comprehensive school health model, we emphasize that health is multidimensional. So it's interesting to learn how kindness affects our physical health, our emotional and mental health, and our social health. Mm. That's fascinating. I think we probably overlook all of its benefits. I think so too. What are the different ways we can cultivate more kindness in our lives and in schools? So first, we need to put on our oxygen mask and practice self-care. We can model kindness. So that's just being kind, you know, and we teach the concept of kindness, what it is and why it matters. So we know that it's a concept and how it can help our health and all of the good stuff. And we can practice kindness in lessons and doing kind projects. And we can even construct it within our classrooms and social conditions and the physical stuff that supports the whole idea of kindness, being in a kind environment. I'm a secondary teacher, and I can see how kindness would come up naturally, especially in early elementary, but how can we talk about it in a way that is engaging with older students? I'm thinking of some high school students that might think, yeah, we know all this already. How do you make it engaging and age appropriate as they get older? You know, you can do that in many ways. Let's say you're teaching a science class and you're talking about vaccinations, you're talking about vaccines and how, how they've been developed and Maybe you can find a story about the first vaccine that was developed and what the person was that was trying to develop, how many times they tried, how many failures they made, and then what was their purpose for de developing it and how that plays out in the world and how those changes made things happen in the world that are kind and, and helpful for people. It doesn't necessarily have to be an explicit thing that you're teaching in your class. So I think we have to get away from the idea that we need to, especially as kids get older, point it out to them. But at the same time, we can also express or share those good things. We can do that with our students too, at older ages too. Mm -hmm. And just pointing it out, even when you're mm -hmm. discussing things, I like that. It sort of is embedded in the things that you're already doing mm -hmm. in a class. Let's go back to that idea of being kind to ourselves. How can we develop our own self-kindness abilities and maybe model or teach that to our students? Again, that idea of putting on your oxygen mask first. I think a lot of us forget that being kind to others starts with being kind to yourself first. In truth, 
if we can't be kind to ourselves, we will have difficulty empathizing and being kind to others. So (laughs) I'm just thinking about this. How many times do you say nice things to yourself? And we are hardwired to pick on ourselves. And I think we often say the worst things to ourselves, things that we would never say to others. And it's important for us to be as kind to ourselves as we would be to any other person in the same situation. So there are lots of ways you can develop your own self-kindness abilities. At the top of the list is looking after yourself. I know everybody knows this, but it really means eating well, being physically active, getting good sleep, and taking time to connect with others in new relationships and long-time relationships. Those areas we tend to neglect, but they create balance in our life. And you may be fine for a little while if one of those areas is not getting much focus, but eventually it will throw you off balance. Another priority is to develop the ability to self-regulate and understand your emotions. And this is a big one. Kids have trouble with it. Adults have trouble with it. But I think there are a few things that we should all know about emotions. And I'll just talk the top three for me. The first is that feelings come and go. So they're not there all the time. They're static and they change. And even how you might feel about something can change over time. The second is that they have intensity. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, sometimes it could be a a mild feeling or a moderate feeling or very strong. And this depends on the situation. Are the lights bothering me? Is the sound too much? Do I not like the smell in the room? Or is it reminding me of something else? Or am I tweaked because I didn't get enough sleep last night? All of those things impact how intensely we feel those emotions. And also that emotions are different for everybody. And then the third thing that I think we should all know is that there are no bad or good emotions. Emotions just are. They tell you how you feel about something. They're not right or wrong. But there are better and worse ways of expressing or acting on emotions. So those are three big things that I think really we need to know. But once you know those, to help you know what you feel, you can simply make a habit to tune into how you feel throughout the day. So notice those feelings, whatever emotion it is, and name it. You'll start to notice that as the emotion passes, you'll make way for the next experience. And most of us can only name a few emotions. So take time to broaden your emotional vocabulary. You can go online and find an emotional wheel or an emotional list and understand how they feel in your body too. It's also helpful to write or reflect about your feelings. You can set a timer for 10 or 20 minutes and just free write what you're feeling. It doesn't have to be perfect or even that legible. (laughs) It can help you gain a new perspective or insight into what's going on. So when you understand how you feel, you will then be able to have more well self-awareness and then you can build your self-awareness to become more self-compassionate. You will understand and have empathy and kindness for others and how they feel. I think those are all great suggestions and depending on you know the parents that you grew up with, you may not have been given the space to identify and feel your emotions. So I think it's common for adults to still not be quite clear what certain emotions feel like in their bodies and what to do with that. And that notion that emotions have different intensities and they can come and go and to really spend time with that. I think that's wise advice. 
Oh, you bet. I, I think uh, really that should be taught in school. It's something for life, right? Those are life mm-hmm. skills. And if you miss out on those, I mean, people aren't hiring kids who are the smartest uh, in, in their, you know, division anymore. They're hiring kids that have social and emotional skills and can be flexible. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a big part of it. And we we can't just work with somebody who's, you know, always got to have it their way, right? Or can't understand somebody else's emotions or feelings. We need we need to have a balance there. And and so, yeah, I agree with you. Anyway, we can also do some different self-care activities. And, you know, you have to find things that work for you. My favorite really are breathing techniques. I'm also very physically active, but my favorite is a breathing technique. And I encourage you to find one that you love. There are so many. There's four, seven, eight breathing. There's box breathing. There's deep breathing. There's yogic breathing, all kinds. But uh, one that I love is called even paced breathing. And all that means is that you breathe in and out of your nose a little deeper and longer than normal for the same amount of time. And at the same time, you activate a feeling of ease or peace or calm. And so, for example, on average, most people find five seconds in and five seconds out very helpful, but for some, it might be shorter or longer, so four in, four out, or six in, six out. It just takes practice to find whatever feels best for you. Elizabeth, would you like to try this with me? Okay, lead me in some breathing. Okay, so whatever you're going to do right now, if you're sitting or you're standing or you're lying down, make sure that your feet are balanced. And uh, your back is straight and your hands are in a comfortable position. If you're lying down, just ensure that your body is in alignment. I'm going to coach us through breathing for five seconds in and five seconds out. I'll ask you to activate a feeling of ease or calm. And then we'll do a couple more breaths. Okay? So to begin, you can close your eyes or keep them open, whatever is most comfortable for you and you're in a comfortable position. And we'll start breathing in. Two, three, four, five. Breathing out. Two, three, four, five. Activate a feeling of calm or ease. Breathing in. Two, three, four, five. Breathing out. Two, three, four, five. Breathing in. Breathing out. Okay. That's just three breaths. (laughs) How did that feel? Good. Let's keep going. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I notice in my own body, like my shoulders drop and the the furrow of brow fades. Mm. (laughs) But but just two or three breaths like that can regulate the autonomic nervous system. So the part that speeds you up and the part that slows you down gets more regulated when you breathe in that even pace breathing. Maybe you feel more clear or maybe you might even feel tired or some people might feel a little dizzy. It's just getting your system back into the norm. If you've been out of the norm, it won't feel normal. And so there are lots of other ways to breathe, but I really love that one. So 
keep it in your back pocket. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Some other things that you can try, you know, adopt that growth mindset for yourself. It's good to see yourself as a learner, just like your students. There's power in not being there yet, right? Make clear boundaries between your work and school and home, those roles that you have. Find ways to shut them off before you get home. Do some kind of ritual for yourself. Maybe it's a breathing exercise or change of clothes or going for a walk, whatever it is. Get outside in nature, unplug your tech, <laughs> and reflect on what you're grateful for. Or do something creative or do something for your spirit, maybe yoga or mindfulness or meditation, connecting with your spiritual beliefs. I think those bottom line pieces are you've got to take care of yourself. You need to know your emotions and then find whatever those things are to support your self-care. And that will help increase your ability for self-kindness. You've got to look after ourselves. Absolutely. Those are great suggestions. And I like the idea to do something creative. I took piano lessons as a child. I was never very good. <laughs> but as an adult now, I find it's almost meditative to play when it's a piece that's not too challenging, but not too easy. It allows me to absorb all my attention and it is this break. So thanks mom for making me take piano <laughs> lessons all those years. But I think all of us have different things that can allow us to just really be present and focus on something that's different from work and different maybe from the st stresses of other relationships in our lives. I think it's good to build time for that. I agree. How can we model kindness to others, especially all the students that are watching us? Being kind and modeling kindness involves your ability to say what you are really thinking with kindness and respect. And sometimes this is so hard because your emotions can get the better of you. You know, I love how Dr. Daniel Siegel says, you know, you flip your lid. There's been so many things coming at you in that heat of the moment that, you know, you might raise your voice or speak sarcastically or do something that's completely inappropriate. We can't choose how we feel but we do have a choice about our actions. There are a few things that you can do to help you model kindness. If there's some behavior that's upsetting you, you know, maybe pause and take that even breath in and out before you speak and try to imagine what the person's perspective might be and how if you were in their shoes, you'd like to be spoken to in that situation. Also, you can um, reflect what you see and try to name the other person's feelings with their actions. And, you know, we see people that are upset. And if we're wrong about the emotion that we think that they're experiencing, they'll correct you. But it's a way to engage them on a different level. So an example might be, I'm guessing you may be feeling a bit nervous. Speaking in front of the class can be scary for anyone. Giving somebody the opportunity to let that feeling out. You can also redirect inappropriate behavior kindly and ask for the behavior you'd like to see. For example, I do this with my daughter. You look and sound upset. Can you tell me what's going on in your usual voice? And I'm not mocking her. I'm not. I'm really not. But you have to ask in a polite and kind way. Uh, notice your students' nonverbal cues. It's a good practice to follow up on what you see privately. For example, I noticed that you were quieter today than usual. Is something bothering you? So it's really looking at your students' nonverbal cues and, and seeing what's there. 
Where appropriate in class, if there are things that you can allow the kids to do and make real choices and really input into their learning or their learning environment, that's great. So this could be things like co-creating classroom expectations or having them come up with ideas to share what they've learned in meaningful ways and also in ways that are meaningful to them. Maybe let them decide how they want to be graded. This is the last thing that I can offer you, and I think it's one of the things that we should all know how to do, just like knowing our emotions is also we are imperfect and we make mistakes. And if we make a mistake, if you want to repair that relationship, you need to know how to make a good apology and really mean it. So there are four steps. The first one is to acknowledge what you did. The second is to you know, give an explanation if it wasn't intentional. If it was, you may have to skip over this step. You also need to express remorse and make amends. The last piece that making amends is really about trying to repair any damage done. And, you know, that's okay. We can work to repair and build these relationships and we're human. We can always make things right. There's a way for us to do that. That's great. I definitely have not learned all of those steps for making an apology. And I think you're right. It's something that we need to do throughout our lives. So whether it's things that we regret saying to our students or things that we regret doing or saying to a colleague, uh-huh. those are those are valuable things to remember. Within the comprehensive school health framework, one of the key components is the physical and social environment. How can a teacher influence both the physical and social environment at a school to encourage a more kind culture? I'll start off with some ideas just to start with the social environment. As a teacher, I think it's helpful if you use praise for your students' efforts. So you want to focus on the effort, the trying and the keeping going. Give them your full attention and really actively listen with your ears and your heart. You can use those everyday interactions to connect with them in the social environment. So greet them at the door, say goodbye or have a goodbye ritual. Acknowledge your students every day. Co-create class expectations using a positive frame. If you're going to do that, an example would be you would ask for your expectations to say treat people with respect rather than no fighting. So you want to ask for the behavior you want, not what you don't want, and get your students to reframe that stuff too. Support your students in taking risks by fostering a growth mindset. An example of this you might want to try is celebrating perseverance. When somebody gets something wrong and they keep trying, maybe put a marble in a class jar. And then when the class jar fills, have a a party and and, uh, say, we did it. We made it. We kept trying. Encourage asking students to answer, even if they think that they might get it wrong. And you can thank students for trying, even if it's not correct. It's great that they give it a, a shot. Yeah, you can always point out, oh, you're on the right track there. I can understand why you would think that or right. just how how you respond to their answers, I think is key. And mm-hmm. you'll stop discussion really quickly if you don't <laughs> do it in a positive way. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, you can say, you're, yeah, you're, you're not quite there yet, but keep trying. Can somebody else help? And thanks for thanks for for trying because I know it's hard. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have to learn this together, you know. Allow for students to have opportunities to try again. The purpose is learning. So how can your students express what they've learned? Consider this in their tests and their experiments. Really think about the opportunity to try again. 
Share your own mistakes also is a big one. You know, admit when you're wrong and walk through a problem-solving process of how you might do better next time. And, you know, get your students to help you problem-solve that out. Something that my kids' teachers have done that I never got a chance to do when I was younger is they will be allowed to make corrections on tests, and that's part of an assignment, is making revisions, making answers better. And I like that because it shows that you're always learning. It's not, the point isn't the test. Exactly. I love that. That is exactly the point. (laughs) You're always learning. There are other ways too. You might want to hold, like some teachers have done a Failure Fridays, and they show some clips of famous people like J.K. Rowling or Michael Jordan or Oprah sharing stories about how they've experienced failure before success. Some other ways to do this are solving a problem together in the classroom, practicing appreciation or gratefulness, or teaching calming exercises, making kindness a motto for your class, you know, something you can say at the beginning and or the end of the day. You know, like I did, I had them do sensory movements. We got up and went around the block, take breathing breaks or physical activity during the day, allowing for water and healthy snacks. Being authentic is really important too. If you need a break, it's likely they do too. Do something funny, watch a YouTube clip or play some music, just something. Other ways you can do this is creating your own lesson plans or using lesson plans that are evidence-based to teach the concept of kindness. One of the ones that I would recommend is called randomactsofkindness.org. They've got lesson plans from K to 12 for you. They're free and they are evidence-based. Also reading books that involve the topic and make kindness or generosity, gratitude, empathy, whatever it is, they make it explicit. Something that we don't realize but is really important that experiencing feelings through things like literature, drama, art, historical documentation, science is just another way to witness and see kindness. Historically, we've seen some horrific things, but we've also seen some beautiful and wonderful things. I think we just need to take time to appreciate those. Now, I'm kind of out of the social stuff, but into the physical stuff in the environment and how you can support kindness in your class. You were talking about the grade 12 teacher. (laughs) Um, You could put up daily quotes in the class. Just change one every day. Just write a quote. Doesn't matter what it is. Throw kindness around like confetti or strong people don't put others down. They lift them up. Find ones that resonate for you or even better, get your students to do it. In the school hallways, the bulletin boards or posters can focus on things like kindness and have students create their own bulletin boards on the topic or have a place in your class where students can go to take a short break to get regulated. Put a kindness jar in your class and have papers the students can write on. When someone experiences a kindness or sees it or does it, they can write it out and put it in the jar. When the jar gets full, celebrate. You can even open some of those things up. When I'm thinking about the school environment, in Alberta, we've got the welcoming, caring, respectful, and safe learning environment stuff that's happening with Alberta Ed. Some of the stuff that has worked in Alberta is that all staff are treating each other with respect, you know, so everybody. (laughs) The buddy benches have been around for a while. They have students who are trained playground leaders who can initiate students to play games and participate in other things. So people will come and sit on that bench and then the leaders can get other kids participating in things. They uh, 
post signs or bulletin boards that welcome visitors and create that warm environment. <laughs> when you see that sign, all visitors, please report to the office. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't come across very well, does it? <laughs> yeah, not as welcoming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not warm, not welcoming. Bulletin boards, the signs or posters that focus on things like kindness, empathy, respect, connection, friendship, and gratitude. Creating some piece of artwork that all the students participate in and then displaying it somewhere in the school. I've seen schools with trees with all of their students' names on their on a leaf or collages where each student has contributed and so they can go and show their parents when they bring them to the school which piece was theirs. Mm-hmm. So there's that idea of connection, right? Yeah, I'm part of a larger group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're looking for those kind of whole school activities, there are a few that have worked around in Alberta schools doing random acts of kindness throughout the year or at special times like World Kindness Day or Random Acts of Kindness Week. When something kind has happened to someone, they write it up and post it on a bulletin board. But just a quick reminder, when I was working with my grade eight students, some of them would get really, you know, flustered. They didn't want to be recognized in front of their peers. That's that's not cool. And especially the older the kids get. So make sure the person wants to be acknowledged. And if they're okay with it, you can acknowledge them. If they aren't, leave their name off. You can just say, somebody did this for me. Sending anonymous letters, sticky notes, or postcards with kind thoughts and words or compliments on them have worked. That idea of catching kindness. So again, like I caught the kids, If you see a kid or a group of students doing something kind, go over to them, tell them what you saw and what you liked about it and how it was kind and call their parents and tell them too. (laughs) Having students come up with their values and belief statements for the school. One of the schools in Calgary championed the values of kindness, generosity, and bravery. And then all of the students made and displayed their own artistic versions of superheroes that had these values. So that was really cool encouraging students getting to know each other throughout the whole school can be really helpful. This is more in elementary, but you can try pairings for different grade levels and do things like reading buddies, make a scrapbook, do origami, create a creature, teach or play new games, trace a body outline and then color it, the person and write out things that they like and value, Uh, do a nature scavenger hunt make an all about me booklet and make a healthy snack for all the students to share. I have actually seen some things like that in older schools where it's usually in a service capacity that the grade nines will serve the grade sevens popsicles on a fun day of the year or in high school level, the 11s and 12s doing tours for the new grade 10. So I think there are ways to build those cross-grade connections and help create a school community, not just a grade cohort. I agree. Absolutely. Some schools have tried inquiry projects. So students come up with a question and they work to ensure they make a difference. A high school project was focused on how can we show that our school is supportive of sexual and gender diversity. 
and they worked to solve that problem. And then a group of kindergarten students worked on a kindness project. What does kindness mean? How can we spread kindness? And who can we spread kindness to? And they became the kindergarten ninjas. You can Google them, actually. They ended up Skyping with kindness experts, and they wrote a book called A Beginner's Guide to Becoming a Kindness Ninja. And they sent this out to other classes. And children, actually, even around the world, it's, it's become international. The fun thing was that they started out in Airdrie. Some schools have done service projects, so they've collected things. And this is often for older kids. This is cool for them for donations to local charities, clothing and toiletries, food, they collecting old glasses and fundraising and volunteered in their communities at seniors' homes, uh, neighborhood cleanup, school ground cleanup, planting gardens, things like that, and then donating the produce too. Staff wellness, <laughs> this is the last area that I think we really need to cover, but Honestly, if your staff is not kind to each other, let's just say it's really all kind of bunk <laughs> if, if it's not backed up by the real stuff. i give you a few ideas that I know that have worked in Alberta. One school created a binder of staff favorite things and of staff least favorite things. So favorite things are like coffee and tea and least favorite things might be supervision. So then random acts of kindness can happen unexpectedly, like taking over another teacher's supervision shift or bringing in a favorite coffee for somebody. Positive messages being posted in each other's mailboxes or posting positive quotes in the staff room, having a weekly lunch together. So um, they found if they made it easy, like soup and sandwiches, salads and some protein, or they prepaid and ordered and brought something in. It's also fun, like you said, about doing piano, doing something creative together. So art or collage or a vision board. It doesn't matter what grade you're in. You can have fun doing that as a teacher and being active together, walks, runs, and games. So that's a lot of things that I've covered to do the social and physical environments in the school, but they can be really helpful. I want to go to a school that has some or lots of those things. It sounds like it's beneficial for everybody Mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to show up at an environment like that. As you know, teaching is busy and complex. What would you say to a new teacher or even a veteran teacher that feels like adding kindness promotion feels like an unnecessary extra? (laughs) Oh, Elizabeth, that's a good question. Honestly, this makes me laugh every time I think about it. I would say watch Rita Pearson's 2013 TED Talk on Every Child Needs a Champion. In this just under eight-minute talk, Rita so eloquently stated was that Educators need to believe in their students and connect with them on a a real, a kind, and a person-to-person level. I think Carl Bruner summed up what Rita Pearson was getting at really the best when he said, people may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. So yes, if you're a high school teacher, it doesn't matter which subject, keep your expectations of your student performance high. Engage your students with meaningful challenges and keep your expectations of everyone treating everyone with respect and always be kind. You may or may not choose to be explicit about it, but you can always choose kindness in your actions and your your classroom climate. You have shared some examples, many of them in Alberta, schools who have been successful in making kindness a priority. I wonder if you could speak to any more that you'd like to cover and share how 
a school's efforts to focus on kindness can affect the school community. There is a great example that happened at a middle school in Coquitlam, BC. A class had a discussion with their teacher about social responsibility, and the students started off doing kind things for the staff, like complimenting them and holding doors, (laughs) and the staff were quick to say thank you. The students soon realized, though, that they didn't want to do things to be thanked, so they decided to do things anonymously, and they called themselves the Breakfast Club. They started writing thank you notes to all the staff and they went to Starbucks to see if they could have coffee donations for the staff. And to their surprise, Starbucks said yes. So the teachers were pretty happy and the students were happy for sure. (laughs) Anyway, as the year moved forward, the Breakfast Club wanted to do more. So they hunted out donations from local businesses to give gifts to staff. They collected 52 bags of gifts for staff and they had so much extra they were able to give a gift to every student in the school, which was 500. <laughs> so wow. imagine like that, that's the community giving, right? To the kids mm-hmm. to give to others. So the Breakfast Club kids were feeling really good about themselves and somehow a local paper picked it up and people were reading about good things that eighth graders were doing. And, and so as more merchants donated to the Breakfast Club's mandate, the messaging went from within the school and the parents out into the community. So all this giving was happening and this kindness was happening. And it really changed the perception of the eighth graders who kind of sound like they're amazing. And mm-hmm. as the school year progressed, the Breakfast Club wanted to have all the students in the school experience the gift of giving. So each class was assigned a buddy class and they all performed random acts of kindness for each other. There's a researcher, her name's Kimberly Schonert-Reichel. She's out of UBC and she did an evaluation of all this kindness and she noted how it changed the relationships among the students and the teachers and at home and in the community. And all of this was still happening anonymously. But at the end of the school year, the last challenge that the club wanted to do was raise 1,300 items for the food bank. And if they could do it, the Breakfast Club members would reveal themselves. Well, let's just say they did. And you can see this video too. It's such a brilliant example. It also shows so much kindness and how on so many levels, it built meaningful and connected relationships. And uh, it changed what was happening in the school and in homes. And kids were were happier. And so were the, the teachers. And so, and so were the parents. And so were the community. What an inspiring example. And it started from the students? It started from the students with a, a talk from their teacher <laughs> who, had wow. seen, who had seen a professional development piece on civil responsibility and promoting and supporting kindness and how to how to do that kind of work. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure those students will never forget it and that it will, they will probably go on to continue that habit. That's amazing. From your perspective, what are the key things that you think all teachers should know about kindness? I think that every teacher should know kindness is not only a concept, I mean that it can be taught, but that it's nestled in other other components. And I've already touched on this a little bit. At the core is self-regulation. So, you know, that being able to manage your emotions and your feelings and biology in relation to your environment. So as you 
gain the ability to self-regulate and know what you're feeling and become acutely aware of your own biological processes, your mood, your stressors, extra things that may be compounding you, you gain this level of self-awareness. So that's the next step. When you're self-aware, you know all those things about yourself. Say to yourself, okay, I can understand why I'm not maybe doing the best at at what I'm doing, and I can develop a sense of self-compassion. If I can develop that in myself, know that my own body needs to be regulated, that I'm aware of it, and that I'm self-compassionate, I can start to do that with others, and I can look outside of myself, and that's where kindness begins. But kindness changes the brain by the experience of kindness. It's one of those unique things that it has to be experienced. It just has to be, and it's a way of showing up daily. It starts within you. When you hold yourself to the kindness standard, if you're kind to your students, even if you never speak of kindness or have a lesson in it, they will learn some of what they know about kindness from you. Mm -hmm. So what is something that a teacher could start doing tomorrow to add a little kindness to their day and to their class? I think you need to be kind to yourself. I don't want you to walk around thinking, oh, yeah, she's just like the happy note post-it person. But say one thing kind to yourself (laughs) in your head when you walk in the school every day. Just do it. And then think of one kind thing you've seen or experienced and start your class off by talking about it. It doesn't matter what subject you teach. You can find something that relates either to you or the students or whatever's going on in the world at that moment tell your class about it and just say, I wanted to tell you that because I think being kind is the nicest thing that we can do for each other. Find something for you that shows who you are and that you do care about others. You're a teacher. You came to this with kindness in your heart. I know you did. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. make it daily or weekly and practice and keep it up and your students will end up loving it. And so will you. Great advice. Do you have any recommendations for other resources for someone who wants to know more about kindness in school settings? Uh, Check out Dr. Stuart Shanker. Uh, He's a Canadian guru regarding self-regulation. You can also go to castle.org, so C-A-S-E-L.org or understood.org. Dr. Kristen Neff for self-compassion and the Dalai Lama Center.org for kindness. So those are kind of places you can find really great information about kindness and how it can relate to the classroom. Thank you so much, Krista, for coming and sharing your wisdom and all of the experiences that, that, that you've had. We really appreciate you teaching us more about the importance of kindness and how we can build a little more of it into our day. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for joining us for another Conversation on School Health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music, and a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or visit our website, everactive.org, for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. <laughs>